If you have a Bible, <coughs> test. Test. There we go. If you have a Bible, could you please open to 2 Corinthians? In 1740, during a British imperial conflict with Spain, the wager, which was a, a boat or a ship, carrying some 250 officers and crew, had embarked from Portsmouth, England, in a squadron on a secret mission to capture the treasure-filled Spanish galleon known as the Prize of the Oceans. Near Cape Horn, at the tip of South America, the squadron had been engulfed in a hurricane, and the wager was believed to have sunk with all its souls. But 283 days later, after the ship had been last reported seen, these men miraculously emerged in Brazil. They had been shipwrecked on a desolate island off the coast of Patagonia. Most of the officers and crew had perished, but 81 survivors had set out on a makeshift boat lashed together partly from the wreckage of their ship, the Wager, packed so tightly on board that they could barely move. They traveled through menacing gales and tidal waves, through ice storms and earthquakes. More than 50 men died during the arduous journey, and by the time the few remnants reached Brazil, three and a half months later, they had traversed nearly 3,000 miles. One of the longest castaway voyages ever recorded. They were hailed for their ingenuity and bravery. As the leader of the party noted, it was hard to believe that, quote, human nature could possibly support the miseries that we endured. One man was so delirious that he had, quote, quite lost himself, and as a companion put it, not even recollecting our names. Have you ever faced troubles so intense that you forget who you are? Or thick misery that is, seems to be beyond what any human nature can endure? You don't have to be a shipwreck survivor to have survived miseries. This life is harrowing and difficult and even more so for Christians. After all, we follow a leader who was rejected and crucified. In fact, to be a Christian is in part to be the kind of person who survives miseries. And that's why we're turning to 2 Corinthians together. Why 2 Corinthians? Well, I can't improve on this. Dane Ordland describes this about the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, the Christian life is impossible to live without 2 Corinthians. At least that's how I feel about this book of the Bible. We don't want to elevate any single portion of Scripture over the rest, of course. So I suppose I should back off that statement. All Scripture is given to us by God and vital for depth with Him. But 2 Corinthians really is unique. How so? The macro theme running throughout 2 Corinthians looked at over and over from different angles is 
The way up is down. The pathway to joy is through sorrow. Death brings life. Comfort comes through affliction. In other words, this letter calms us into settled assurance that it is in the adversities of the life in this fallen world, not by avoiding adversity, that life with God blossoms. Ease of life results in frothiness of life. The most substantial, radiant men and women we meet are those who bear scars, who have endured dark valleys. They've walked with Christ instead of growing cynical. And the reason I'm tempted to say that the Christian life is impossible to live without 2 Corinthians is that we all walk through pain in different ways, for different seasons, at different seasons, or different reasons, at different seasons of life, hardship washes over us. How could we possibly remain sane and cheerful without God's insistence throughout this letter that his deepest consolations are mediated to us in and not after sorrow. You see, we're going to see through 2 Corinthians that this book tells us we will experience pain, but never without purpose. We will suffer loss, but never without comfort. We will be discouraged, but never completely crushed. We may seek ease, but we will find Jesus much better. We may face miseries, but we will find greater blessings. And here's what I want us to be more confident in as we go through this book. As we, we, I want this to be something that we believe as we look to learn throughout this series. You can only survive this life with a sturdy comfort from the hand of God. You cannot manufacture your own comfort. This kind of comfort only comes from God. Jesus may not always cut our hardship short, but he always uses our hardship. And today we find one way the Lord uses our affliction, and that's to minister to others. So if you have a Bible, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 1 down to verse 7, and we're going to see that as God comforts us in our affliction, we must comfort others in their affliction. In other words, the comforted must comfort. The comforted must comfort. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. 
which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Let's pray. Lord, guide our way here as we consider your word. I pray that you would overcome my innumerable weaknesses and limitations, and I pray that you would, that you would bless these wonderful people that I love more than anyone else because of what your word says here, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen. The, comfort, the comforted must comfort. That's the idea. First, the kind of comfort that God shares. The kind of comfort God shares. Now, Paul wrote this letter to, the, to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. And their relationship was strained. And you can pick, on the, pick up on this as you read through the letter. There's a hint of this tension at the beginning of the letter. Normally when he writes a church, he exults with the diatribe of gratefulness. But here he doesn't. For example, I'll just give you a couple examples. Philippians 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Ephesians 1, for this reason, because I heard, you, heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Even in the first letter to this same church, he says, I always give thanks to my God, to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. But not this time and not in this letter. Over this letter, he's going to gently and carefully correct them. And so what he does first is he begins by pointing their attention toward the Lord. And what does he say about the Lord? Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever we read the words blessed be, that's just a way of saying, praise God for what he has given us, for who he is, and for what we have because of him. And what's the first thing he says? Praise God for what we have because the Father has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we have no hope and we have no help. Praise God for that. Then he goes on and says, The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. We'll see this next week, but affliction is on his mind because he has just escaped a harrowing experience in Asia that he barely lived through. And he wants the church not just to understand that God comforts the afflicted, but he wants to show them how he comforts the afflicted. From the Father of mercies, meaning that the Father, the originator of all the mercies, all the kindnesses that we ever have or experience come directly from him. And he also is the God of all comfort. That means he's the source of of our comfort. And comfort is the main idea in this little paragraph. It's easy to recognize because the word in the noun or the verb form, comfort, is used ten times. The Lord is the source of all comfort. And that's what we see in verse 4. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, what does that God do with the comfort that he gives? He comforts us in all our affliction. So he lavishly, what kind of God do we have? We have a generous God. 
He's, we have a God who is eager to share. He lavishly shares his comfort with us when we are in the midst of affliction. In our times of trouble, God of, the God of all comfort is the one who comforts us. This is a promise, friends, as Christians, that we should hold dearly. We are never left without hope or without help in our affliction. Though it might seem like we're all alone, the, the God of all comfort, he leans forward to comfort us in all of our affliction. He sees us in affliction and springs into action. He is not blind to our troubles. He moves to comfort. He's not the kind of father that sits idly by, distracted, doing nothing. No, he lurches forward to comfort and aid and help the afflicted. He rushes to our aid. He speeds to bolster the faltering. When? When does he do this? Verse 4, who comforts us before all of our affliction. No. Actually, who comforts us after all our affliction? Nope. Who comforts us in all our affliction? It's in amid hardships that the Lord pledges to give his comfort. During affliction, the Lord promises that it's there we receive comfort. He doesn't give us a bank of comfort to pull on so that when we get afflicted, we can go, okay, I'm going to make a withdrawal. That's not how it works. When you face affliction, and we all face affliction, when you face trials, when you face hardship, when you face trouble, the Lord promises that I will be there to comfort you. Now, you might be someone sitting here who's not in affliction right now, and that's wonderful. You might not have ever lived through a season of affliction. That's great. But follow Jesus long enough and you will be afflicted. And the best time to learn how to survive affliction is not in the midst of affliction. It's not time to learn about how to survive through hardship. When you're in hardship as a Christian, it's time to take the comfort you can get from God and not try to learn what to do. No, you just look to the Lord and ask for help. Many... Many, and I mean frighteningly many professing Christians have turned away from Jesus in the throes of affliction because it's just too hard. In times of trial, it's so easy to assume that the Lord would never have me go through something this hard with my kids or in my marriage or with my job. So I'm not happy or I'm not fulfilled or I'm not at peace and I can't be wrong. And so I'm going to walk away. And they wander off into false comforts that shipwreck their souls. That's why we need to be ready and prepared for afflictions before they come. And they will come. And the ones you face will be harder than you think. And you will need more help from the Lord than you think. You need nothing less than intervention from the God Most High to provide you comfort. But what does Paul mean by the word comfort? And we might think, not stretchy pants, sweatpants. <laughs> stretchy pants aren't comfortable. Sweatpants, <laughs> slippers on a lazy Saturday morning where you're sipping your latte, sitting in your favorite chair, and you've got nowhere in particular that you need to be, and so you can just be for a while. We think that's comfortable. Or a spa day. I don't know what that entails, but it sounds comfortable. 
That's not the kind of comfort that God delivers in the midst of hardship. David Garland gets it exactly right when he says, the comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with the languorous feeling of contentment. It's not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one's, one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. So God pledges strength and resilience in the middle of afflictions. He gives us strength so that we might endure. Now, how does he deliver this comfort? What does he do to make sure that we, when we are afflicted, have access to this comfort? Now, if I'm dialing up the kind of comfort I'd request, I would ask for blazing chariots across the sky to come down and tell me something, or angels from heaven, or audible voices, or one of my dogs to tell me something verbally, or some kind of miraculous reversal. But signs and wonders are plenty. That's what I want in the middle of affliction. But the Lord offers something better. How does the God of all comfort comfort us? Through each other. Hold your applause. Comfort from the comforted. Point number two. This is what we do. Comfort from the comforted. Look at verse four. There's a lot of who. So Paul, Paul's writing style is, is not chill and it's not laid back. Right? Paul's type A. He's got some things to tell us, and we better be listening because he's going who's and these and thou's and all over the place. We've got to pay attention. What is he, what is he saying here? We see the Father of, of all mercies and the God of all comfort, verse 3. Now verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. So why? So that. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So like John never says with which, Mark never says with which, but Paul says with which all the time. And so in the, what do we see here? In the divine economy, we're fitted to comfort others best when we use the comfort we have received from the Lord in the midst of our affliction. When we are afflicted, the Lord comforts us from other people in our lives so that we might be able then to experience comfort, and then also be able to give it away to other people who are afflicted. It's kind of like Kit Kats. You know, Kit Kats, the candy. Yeah, we all love Kit Kats, don't we? So Twitter says this about Kit Kats. Kit Kat bars are actually recursive. I didn't know what that meant. It's not anything about cursive. It means it's a process that can be repeated indefinitely. This is how... The filling in Kit Kats are made from damaged Kit Kats. Some bars get broken while they're being made, and instead of throwing them out, the company crushes them up, and that's what's inside of a Kit Kat bar. Literally crushed up Kit Kats. And it's the same for Christians. We are in this recursive, indefinite process. We, we receive comfort. We receive comfort from the Lord. We give comfort to other people. When we're in the midst of affliction and when we receive strength, we share that strength with others. And when others receive that and when we're in affliction, we, share, we, are, we are the recipient of that, the, of that comfort from other people. It's recursive and it happens over and over and over and over again. Or it should. This is just one of the reasons that we must not 
fall prey to the trap of isolation. One of the great temptations in times of affliction is to isolate ourselves from others thinking that it's safer that way. To build up walls and wrongly think that we're doing the safe and the wise thing. We are not. It feels safe to isolate yourself, but it's always deadly. It's not without reason that Psalm 18 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, he thinks he's doing the right thing. But he breaks out against all sound judgment. When you isolate yourself from other Christians, you isolate yourself, to put it in the terms of this passage, from the very comfort of God. When you are afflicted and you separate yourself from the people of God, you cut yourself off from the comfort God would provide. The design mechanism is this. When you are afflicted, you need the saints all the more to provide you with comfort. Imagine you broke your finger by slamming it in a car door. It's bleeding. And you think, this really hurts. I know what to do. I'm going to cut off my hand. Then I don't have to deal with that finger anymore. You don't have to deal with that finger or that hand anymore, but that's ridiculous and foolish. But we do worse when we isolate ourselves from others when we are going through adversity. You need the people in your church when you are going through adversity more than ever. More than ever. When you, were, when you isolate yourself from others in your hour of affliction, you remove yourself from God's means of comfort as well. The comforted must comfort. And also, those that are afflicted must be able to put themselves in a position to receive comfort. We, who are not afflicted, must comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. Now you might think, I don't know what to say. Friends, this doesn't take an advanced degree. Now I'm not saying there isn't a place for professionals, but there is. But by far, most, the most of the Christian life, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a number of months or years, you are already qualified to disseminate help to other Christians. When you emerge from a season of affliction, you can look back and say, how did the Lord provide strength to me? And I guarantee that you will have moments where you heard from other people or someone said something that was timely or pointed you to a scripture verse or there was a promise you weren't thinking about in the Bible that someone shared with you and it put steel in your spine. Sometimes it's just having someone sit with you and hear your anguish and pray for you. What was your experience? See, that experience, now you are equipped. If you've been afflicted and you've emerged from that affliction and the reason you've emerged is because you've been given strength by God and comfort from Him, now you are equipped and able to help other people. You're qualified, commanded even, to bolster the other saints if you have emerged from afflictions and are still following Jesus. Your church needs you. The afflicted in our church needs us. And just to make sure we really get it and understand it, verses 6 and 7, he circles around the same conversation. He says, essentially, <coughs> Corinthians, my affliction brings you comfort, and your comfort brings 
your comfort in me, from, your comfort from me in my affliction because you are now comforted. So you have this cycle. They're comforted because of his affliction. He's afflicted, they can comfort him, and vice versa over and over and over again. So what have we seen? We see the God of all comfort. He shares his comfort. We see that the comforted must comfort. And lastly, we must understand that this is a constant need. This is a constant need. Look at verse 5. For, as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We have shared in Christ's sufferings. We will share in Christ's sufferings. Why? Because we are Christians. We are now associated with Him. He is in us. We are in Him. Our life is now not our own, and our lives are now defined by Him. For us, to live is Christ. And we're baptized into His death and already raised into new life. This means that we are going to face the same kind of suffering that He did because we have the same kind of enemies. We will be rejected. We will be accused. We will be falsely charged from time to time. Richard Hansen expands on this idea saying, because Christians do not merely imitate, follow, or feel inspired by Christ, but actually live in Him and are part of Him, dwell supernaturally in a new world where the air they breathe is His Spirit, then for them henceforward, suffering accepted in Christ must bring comfort. Death accepted in Christ must bring life. Weakness in Christ must bring strength. Foolishness accepted in Christ must bring wisdom. Or in other words... As followers of Jesus, we will suffer like Jesus. Or we will, we will be exposed to things like Jesus. We will share, as it says, abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Now, obviously, his suffering on the cross was unique. And it was there he suffered for us. And that's not what we're talking about. But there is the, a kind of affliction that comes upon us simply because we follow Jesus. Some troubles come our way because we serve Jesus. We may not have human enemies, but anyone who takes following Jesus seriously will be actively opposed by the evil one. And the worldly system that we live in makes godliness, holiness, following the Lord, the stupidest look, look so stupid and out of step, and old-fashioned. And that often brings affliction. Friend, friends, a church that prays, reaches out for the lost, preaches the Word, treasures the Word of God, serves each other, dispenses grace liberally, takes sin seriously, and does not back down from bullies, that church will actively be opposed in the same way Jesus was. Now, am I saying that that church will be perfect? Are we perfect? No. Not like Jesus. But I, I am saying that we should expect to be afflicted by bad characters and the evil one 
because Jesus was, and we share in his sufferings. Even though these sufferings are sufferings that come upon us, we are not left without help. We're not left without a reserve. We have been the recipients of the comfort from God, and that we can share with one another to bolster each other's up, each other up. And no mention of sharing Christ's suffering should be without recognizing how unique his suffering was for us. He suffered in our place for our many sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and he had no comfort from God. There was no one to dispense comfort to him. He had no comfort, only wrath and scorn heaped upon him because of our many sins. Why? So that in part, we might receive not justice, but mercy from the God of all comforts. Aren't you grateful that he's the God of mercy, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comforts, not the God of all judgment or wrath? Our comfort, yes, has come to us at a frightful cost. Our respite comes because of Christ's agony. Our relief comes because of his anguish. Our hope comes because of his affliction. Our comfort was purchased by his rejection. And that kind of comfort is a comfort that we can minister to anyone in any trouble. And it's a, it's a comfort we must minister to other people. We have, each of us, a responsibility because the comforted must comfort. So why is all this helpful? I'll just give two reasons as we close. I'm not saying that we should embrace affliction or somehow pretend that suffering does not hurt. I don't want us to be fearful of that kind of thing. I want us to see here that though suffering comes, we have resources to protect us in the day of suffering. We have the comfort from the God of all comforts. So two thoughts. Number one, no suffering is pointless. No suffering is pointless. See, when you're trapped in the misery of affliction, you're going to be tempted to believe that it's meaningless and hollow and is worth nothing. This text shouts, that's wrong. When you suffer and receive comfort that you would not have gotten otherwise, and that comfort you can give to others around you who are suffering, that, friends, is a reason. There's purpose right there for your suffering. You have no idea how much it means to someone else just to walk up and say, I've been there. And I can tell you that trusting the Lord and hoping in Him is worth it. He will not disappoint. In the Christian economy, suffering is never for nothing. You may not be able to understand why you are afflicted, but you can always understand how to use that affliction. No suffering is pointless either for you or for those in your life. And you have an obligation to share that comfort with others. Are you? No suffering is pointless. And lastly, share your life with others in your church. If this is your church, share your life here with the people here. If you're part of another one, share your life with the people there.
Share your losses and your victories. Share your disappointments and your successes. Share your fears and your heartbreak. Share your failures. Why? Because it's when we do that that we position ourselves to share and receive comfort from the very hand of God. The comfort we receive, we must share with others. They need it. I'll tell you what I mean. I know a man who became a pastor, and when he started out, he was naive about how hard life was. And he was apt to give canned answers and believe just sort of empty platitudes. In particular, when he heard of people having panic attacks, he wrongly thought they were not real. And then he had one. He told me about it. Someone attacked him maliciously without cause, and his heart jumped and raced, and he could do nothing to stop it. He felt out of control and subject to unseen forces. Now the attack passed. He came out of it. He was able to lay hold of the goodness of God. And he told me that the thing that got him through was the promise that the Lord would never leave him, would never forsake him, and was always good. Now, do you think he's going to be a better minister to comfort those kind of hurting saints? Yes. And you know what? He has an obligation to do that. Why? Because of the comfort he has received from the Lord. And you do too. You have an obligation. If you're a Christian, you have an obligation to the, your fellow brothers and sisters in this church to comfort them with the comfort you've received. Now, you're going to think it feels so mundane and so normal. You're going to think, this doesn't feel powerful or supernatural to sit down and have coffee with someone and ask, how are you doing? And then to hear all of the affliction. And you're going to think, I have no idea what to say. You know what? You... You have endured affliction, and you have received comfort. That comfort that helped you, share it with that person. The sky's not going to part. Trumpets aren't going to sound. It's not going to be that there's some kind of music in the background so that you see and feel that this is amazing. It'll feel very normal, very mundane. But that, friends... That is how we minister comfort from God one to another. Because the comforted must comfort. So if you are in affliction right now, tell other people. Tell them. Start now. And friends, if you've endured and made it out with the comfort of God, you have an obligation to share that. If you're younger... Look for people who have gray hair or no hair and ask them, how has the Lord comforted you in your afflictions? Friends, we may yet face miseries that human nature might not be able to endure, might push us up into the edge of human nature, but take heart. We have a greater access to comfort. We have a greater promise that we will be comforted by the God 
of all comfort. And as we are comforted, we can now go and comfort others. 